Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. When we talk about redemption, individual salvation, it's an aspect of it, but it's not all we're talking about. And to illustrate this, I want to say that in your life, after you give your life to Christ, you will experience God's redemption continually in your life. There's nothing like a good redemption story, the kind that tells of someone impossibly bad being rescued and transformed into someone incredibly good. The Bible is God's unfolding plan of redemption for his creation, not just for individuals, but for families, for cities and countries, and even culture, art, music, government and law. This week, Dr. Corbett begins a four-part series designed to help us understand this idea of redemption and how it's playing out in lives around us. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for Redemption Part 1. But wait, there's more. Praying that God helps us as a church to reach the hurting and the broken of our community. When we say broken, I need to explain that. When something is designed for a purpose... And when it's used the way it's meant to be used, it works. When something is designed for a purpose and it's not used the way it's meant to be used, it breaks. And so if you've ever had, as I have, a two-stroke small engine brush cutter and you've run out of two-stroke and you think, well, I suppose one tank of four-stroke won't hurt it. So I'm told. (laughs) I've done this. I put four-stroke in a two-stroke brush cutter and funny, it didn't start and it it wouldn't ever start after that either. I broke it. And there are people who don't realise that this world is designed. There's a design to this world. The big fancy word, I know in Kim's uh, Bible school class on Wednesday with the guys, they introduced this word. The word is, any, what's the word, Karen? David Attenborough. Tele? Teleological. Teleology. Teleology. And Karen, I'm told you remember that word because David Attenborough is on tele. Tele. That's right, tele. Teleology. Everything has a purpose and a design. And David Attenborough looks at it nearly every documentary he makes and he still doesn't get it. Frustrating. And the thing is, we are designed, just like my, mate, rest in peace, my brush cutter. <laughs> and if you don't use it the way it's designed, it breaks. And, and when it breaks, it causes an, in a human soul, it causes an ache. And that breaking can happen because people perhaps have been treated in a way that breaks them. And I think of you know, what's been happening with the Royal Commission into the institutionalisation of um, institutional child sex abuse and all that kind of stuff. And I read through the case studies of those and, oh man, it was hard. It was so depressing. And to hear how young vulnerable particularly young vulnerable lives have been broken hurt and broken and many of them have resulted in suicide and all kinds of terrible things and so so this is what I want to say when people use drugs they're often it's not because they like using drugs it's because quite often if not always often (laughs) 
they're broken. And if Stephen Hill, who works for City Mission, was here, he could tell you a lot more about this. He sent me some research on this that, that says addiction can be broken not by dealing with the drugs, but by dealing with the cause of why they're taking the drugs. And for many, if not all, people, it's because of a deep hurt in their soul. And they say things like this, it was only when I was drinking to excess that I didn't feel the pain anymore. It was only when I took that pill that I didn't feel the pain anymore. Only when I put that needle in my arm that I didn't feel the pain anymore. And I want those who perhaps are watching by webcast now and this might be your story, I want you to know that we understand that. We understand that. And that we in our worlds, each of our worlds, we have people who are hurting and broken and are doing things to try and relieve that hurt and brokenness and it doesn't work. It's not working. And we have a solution, an ultimate solution, because there is someone who has taken the ultimate pain and brought about the ultimate healing. And that's what I want to unpack over the next four weeks and I want to clarify some of those those ideas about that in our minds so that we at the end of this series become agents of redemption would you pray with me father without you I can do nothing without the strength of your holy spirit right now my words are, are just nothing so I pray that as I speak these words of mine would be yours and that father they would be words of life able to quicken able to touch a hurting broken soul and that lord you would have your way that you would have your way i pray lord as pastor of this church that you do give us a heart for the hurting sometimes the hurting and the broken wear three-piece italian suits sometimes they drive brand new expensive european cars sometimes they have the finest jewelry but sometimes they live on the street under King's Bridge in our own town. They might be down and out or they might be up and out. Lord, help us to look through, help us to look past outward appearances and to see human hearts. I pray, Lord, that you help me to be one who speaks like Christ, that, Father, if there be bruised reeds, as your word says, people who feel like they've been bruised by life, if they come in here, I pray that, exactly what Jesus did a bruised reed he did not break and I pray that neither will I but instead people will find healing for their soul and that we will find a clearer vision of Christ and that Lord it will be our strongest desire to want to know you and make you known in Jesus name I pray amen so redemption I guess I, I need to in a moment explain what that word means because I'm going to use it in a particular way because I hear even football commentators when you know someone goes for a goal in the dying moments of the game and that you know they're one point behind and they go for the goal five meters out right in front of goals they kick and it goes off the side of their boot out on the full and the siren sounds next match closing minutes of the game five meters out from goals <laughs> They're one point down again and the same player's got the ball. And the commentator says, is he going to redeem himself? So I hear this word used in football. I heard it too often 
on the Geelong games last year, but that's another painful story. It's my own healing needed. It's... So I want to subtext this as, so that we understand exactly what we're talking about. In our staff meeting last Monday, one of our team members prayed, God, thank you that you're making our church messier, which doesn't bring immediate delight to my heart when I hear people <laughs> praying that, but I understood what they were praying because if we are to be a church that becomes agents of redemption, we are going to see people with messed up lives come in. Are we okay with that? Thank you, all three, thank you. I really, really, really want us to get this. That if we are going to be a church that is serious about laying down our lives and helping people, we are going to see the kind of people that actually need that help come in and they're not going to have it all together. Now, fortunately today, I happen to pick the one Sunday of the year when it looks like you've all got it together. So maybe you might not appreciate what it's like to not have your life together. So I want for those people who feel like they haven't got it all together to understand that this word redemption is as broad as this. It's when God transforms the impossibly bad into the unimaginably good. And I introduced a, a Hebrew word the other week. I said it's chesed. And it's, it, there's no English equivalent for it. They had to invent an English word to kind of even come close to it. And the, this English word is only about 150 or so years old. And it's the word loving kindness. Because the English translator who was doing this said, I don't even know where to begin to translate this word. So in fact, that word is translated into English 169 different ways in different English Bibles. Because it just means that. That God is able to take the impossibly bad and turn it around for the unimaginably good. He's able to take those of us who are so far from hope and help and transform our lives. And that's what he's done in my life and I'm grateful to him for doing it. This first section, I need to explain something about this because for many of you, what you've just heard me say in my introduction is, okay, this is Andrew trying to be an evangelist. This is, this is just about seeing souls saved. You know, <sighs> Firstly, I hope that's not your response. But I do need to explain that God's plan for this world, this universe, is much more than seeing decision cards filled out and people putting their hands up at the end of a sermon saying yes to Jesus. That's not the end game for us. And it shouldn't be, I just want to challenge that as our end game collectively as a church. So that's why I've called this, but wait, there's more. Now that's not going to make any sense to anyone who never used to watch late night TV where you could order now, but wait. <laughs> There's more. We'll throw in a set of steak knives if you buy these steak knives. And so wait, there's more. So I guess I've said to you many times that when you take the Bible for the first time, and my, and my friend who, I, who I've invited to the Easter breakfast, and who said yes? I gave him a Bible and he said, oh, I've been reading it. And oh, I don't know about this, Andrew. I don't know. So where did you start? He said, First Samuel. I thought, oh, great. I wouldn't have started there. It's kind of like starting in the middle of a, a Jason Bourne movie and you're going, what the heck's all this about? But if you start at the beginning, it's awesome, right? All the men said, yeah. <laughs> but if you don't get it, 
Starting at 1 Samuel is probably not the best place to start. So let me explain this to you. The Bible is an unfolding story of God's plan of redemption. God has a plan of redemption. And so when I use this term redemption, I am going to define it in a moment, but I want us to see this. It's God's unfolding plan of redemption. Now I know that there are many people here who think that what I'm talking about is just the salvation of souls, just an individual soul coming to know Christ. And, and I can understand why you think this. I mean, after all, it says here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, this is good and is, is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. Why? Because he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that, that sounds like, you know, and I've heard people say, this is God's main mission. You know, this is the main mission. This is, this is the thing that we should be about because it's God's total focus i'm probably going to upset your apple cart in a moment because i'm going to suggest to you it's not god's main and only deal it is a big deal and if you're here today and you're not a christian you haven't taken that step i hope that you realize this is a big deal this is a really big deal i heard a doctor this week i was who identified and he actually used the term i identify as a christian which i thought that's an odd way to describe yourself as a Christian and he has performed according to his book he's an OBGYN and he's performed over 10,000 abortions and he said but I identify as a Christian and you've got to understand that I'm hearing this and I'm going I don't think you understand what that means because it actually makes a difference Monday morning to the way you live and the way you see the world and the way you see life so I want us to really get a grip of what I'm about to say as far as God's deal. So that's why I say most of us might think that what we're talking about when we talk about redemption is that it's just about the salvation of an individual. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood because that is a big deal. It really is a big deal. In fact, it's the starting point, the starting point of Christianity if you don't accept God's offer of forgiveness and his offer to remove your sin and exchange your unworthiness for the worthiness of his son who died that first Easter and to receive the offer that he has which is to adopt you as his child and for him to become your eternal father then maybe you don't get Christianity. It doesn't matter, I don't care if you identify as a Christian or not, if you don't get that possibly not really a Christian it's very very simple it's not a matter of you doing anything it's a matter of receiving what he offers you for free so so this is why I'm going to build this foundation that when we talk about redemption individual salvation it's an aspect of it but it's not all we're talking about and to illustrate this I want to say that in your life, after you give your life to Christ, you will experience, if you walk with Christ, you will experience God's redemption continually in your life. And for that, you should say, thank you God. <laughs> because redemption means, uh, I'm going to give you some words in a minute, but one of the words it means is rescue. Rescue. And in our lives, we all get in really 
bad situations, setback situations, where it's like, how the heck am I going to get out of this? And the worst ones are the ones that are self-inflicted. The ones where you've dropped the ball, where you've made a mistake. And I say you as if I've never made them, and you've got to be joking. Of course I have. It's one of my continual prayers. I pray redemption prayers for my own life instinctively every day. My, I've told you, my, my most often prayed prayer is a two-word prayer, and it goes like this, God, help. And that's a cry for redemption. It's a cry to be rescued. It's a cry for God to come and do something in my life because it's beyond me right now. And I prayed that this morning. I almost breathe it. I'm very aware that I need his help, but it's a cry for redemption. I'm, af- I'm asking God to redeem him. So did the psalmist. This is a Psalm 34, verse 22. Notice this. I just want to point this out to you. This is not someone who needs to be saved, not someone who needs to know God. They know God. They've, they've given their life to God. They're right with God, but now they're in a pickle. And they pray this. Well, they state this. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants we really need to get this to have a good shot of reality here that life sometimes gets really negative and you can bind the darkness all you like and sometimes that becomes such a waste of time such a distraction instead of yelling at satan we need to as jody said look at the face of christ just look to him i'm pretty sure that when Enemy forces put you in a really dark place. They love it when you turn your face away from Christ and start binding darkness, yelling at demons, calling out Satan, Woohoo, where are you? And just totally distracted. Instead of doing what I hope you hear throughout this series is this, when you are really in a jam, lift your hands and lift your face to heaven and pray that two-word prayer, God, help. Make it a three-word if you want. God, help me. God help me. There's other ways to pray it. Lord, be merciful to me. These are redemption prayers. So hear this. So I want to now share with you a story. Come on, would you please welcome Michael Dixon? Come on up, Michael. Yeah. Have a seat. Good morning. All right. So if you don't know Michael, this is Michael. And we I, I want to just go through his story because Michael, I said to you in checking uh, whether we could do this, that I felt that your story is a redemption story. There's lots of elements of redemption. I would agree. And uh, probably my, my guess is that there may be quite a few people who actually don't know your story. So let's see. We won't start from the beginning. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. <laughs> but let's start around 1970 or so. You had a fascination particularly with fish and uh, I don't know if you've still got the sign right next to your front door that says uh, fishing, it's not a matter of life and death. What's the next line? It's far more important than that. <laughs> this is a seriously broken man, really. It's like... <laughs> Tell us about your fascination with fish and water. Well, it's actually, it, it's, I've learnt that it's actually a fascination with water and fish, not fish and water. Okay. But when I was very young, I really, really 
enjoyed being at our family shack, which is a brackish water lake, and it's an unusual type of water. Mm-hmm. And it always fascinated me, the fact that it would make foam when the wind blew and after the wind had blown and the foam had gone away, the water would be clearer. Okay, now I went, Tony and I went um, a ca- a ca- kayaking or canoeing? What were we doing? Kayaking, thank you. I just wanted to see if Tony knew. And, <laughs> and, I, and I actually asked him, you know, there's, there's all this browny, beigey foam on the water. So, what, so you were fascinated by this. What did you discover? Well, uh, in the lake or any lake you go to, you'll see that the, the foam forms and it goes brown and parts of the lake will have silt on the bottom and that's usually the part where the foam hits the shore for the most of the weather and drops the sediment that it's collected. And the shore that's got sandy shores is where the wind blows away from. And so I thought, oh, God's cleaning the water. Uh-huh. It's... um. It's a really neat principle. I wonder why we designed something like that. Okay, so water and fish, and then you did a degree in what? Uh, well, first I did aquarium sciences. So I, I really did think I was into fish. Keeping aquariums was wonderful. Um, but I, I used to design and build oceanariums and, and work with those, and then I went and did aquaculture. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a thing that we did in the aquarium trade uh, that we call protein skimming, which actually replicates what God does on the lake or the ocean, and it creates a foam to remove muck out of the water. Um, and, you know, as, as aquarists, we knew that we could do this and we could, we could um, manipulate the water chemistry such that it would be like the ocean with a thing called ozone. Um, and if we did that a lot, um, we had to be careful because if we did that a lot, uh, certain things in the water would get taken away from the water that the fish and the corals would need and they would die. All right, so uh, um, you, you met Karen. She asked you to uh, marry her, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> or did I get that around the wrong way? <laughs> uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to ask Rob to remember before me there. Um, yeah, no, so we, we, um, we grew up together and, and fell in love and Karen did nursing and I came down here to extend my studies into aquaculture. Um, so I did aquaculture and praise the Lord, I learned I really wasn't into fish. I was into filters. I okay. liked making water clean. Okay, so you, you buy a block of land in Roseviers yeah. Drive? Yeah, 93. So 1993, we find the block of land just up the road from John and Janet Sands' place, um, and we had to have an on-site waste treatment system. And I thought, that's a filter. <laughs> that's so exciting. So I got really excited about the on-site sewage treatment, and I, I know a lot of people are going to go, you what? But it, so it was So at exciting. this point of your life... <laughs> You're really excited about foamy, dirty-looking water, ozone, filters, and now poo. <laughs> That's extremely accurate. So uh, Karen and I did... Well, Karen was patient with me while I got excited about all these different filters we could buy for the house so that we could process our poo. And um, it didn't add up. None of the things that people were doing made any sense with the science that I already knew how to clean water. So I thought... Well, how, how hard can it be? Ten days later, I had a process designed um, and invented that's completely new. Um, that took six years. So in 2000, we actually took that process through what's called the Australian Standards for On-Site Waste Treatment, um, smashed the standards out of the park. And Marty and, and Mark actually assisted me with that through that period. Um, and we commercialised that process around Australia. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. All right, now that commercialising... This, because um, <clears throat> I remember this, and this was going to make you very rich and was going to, you know, be the next best thing in the world of uh, 
sewerage a poo, to, yes. uh, to uh, slice bread, and you you went into uh, uh, business. Now, was that was that uh, yeah. wet technology? Which yeah. So wet technologies. Uh, the owner of that um, uh, he identified that what I had was very exciting, and he wanted to have a business doing that with us. And so we created a business where we started the commercialization process, and I learned something very valuable that took me, and still takes me a fair bit of time to process, and that is that um, generally people aren't honest. Okay, so Michael, um, I wasn't obviously walking with you every day in this, but I, you know, as someone who was in and out of your life at that point in, into the, the depths of what happened here, this was an extremely dark time because you had borrowed a lot of money. Well, it, it, yeah, our, our house, our, our mortgage was based on running through the standards. This is all stuff we paid for. Uh, we developed the business. We got it running with the Australian standards. Everything was going well. And then things like $183,000 would go out of the account with no explanation. Um, so you're in a, there's a partnership yeah. formed with this guy. You're finding a number of inconsistencies, and this is one of them, you know. Yeah. I put, we, you know, we've put money in this account. Well, in fact, I've only, I'm the only one who yep. put money into this account, and so, now it's gone. Yeah, so we were, we were selling, we were, we were doing commercial jobs, and we were making money. Um, but the money was going missing. Uh, and uh, I, I found, to my horror, that uh, this fellow was not being honest and embezzling money from the accounts, and everything we'd worked for um, was going backwards. And it got really dangerous for us because of the activities that he was doing. So they were, they were producing things that weren't too standard and they must be too standard. And I had to resign as a director for my own company to protect our family and, and our house um, from it being taken in a situation that was Which meant, getting out of control. Which meant, in one sense, there was no real feasible possibility you were ever going to recover the funds that that's right. now lost, that's which right. was a considerable yeah. amount well, of money. Yeah, we, we got out of that um, at that moment, uh, owing, we were owed a very, very large amount of money. We still are. I mean, it was, it was a lot. Yep. Okay, so, so from that negative experience, you fell back onto, uh, I guess, what you might call a small business that you had on the side that became your main deal. Yeah, um, for whatever reason, God put into me this strange aptitude for data. Um, IT. For yeah, yeah. Well, no, data. IT is just a tool to play with data. Yep. So um, we won't talk about data too much, but essentially we built a business around looking after medics and dentists and their data because they tend not to understand data. Yep. In fact, for the first time I ever worked was with Nick Sands and John on his practice. Um, but in the end, we, I built this business up, uh, would make very good money from it, um, and it was, sort of, it was sort of around the period where I was learning that this fellow was doing horrible things to, to us as a family because of the embezzlement, um, and I had started pulling away. Now, during the period of doing the work with Win Innovations, I developed a reputation for dealing with really horrible, this isn't going to work, nobody knows what to do problems. And so, so Wet in Innovations was, was the, the name. Of the, that was the name of the company. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had started working with commercial contractors and um, we had had all sorts of opportunities to do really quite fun things with filters. Um, and I was, I was resigning as a director at the time that I was introduced to a new type of thing to play with in my, in my worldview. It's like 
somebody else has made some water dirty and I get to play with it. This is terrific. Um, it was the mining sector. Yep, okay, so let's, I want to I wanna just make sure that everyone's actually heard what's happened here because having someone almost cause you to lose your home, mm. what was your temperament like during that? Oh, um... Should we ask Karen? Yeah, Karen, Karen's, Karen was amazingly patient with me. I am a man of immense violence and I control it really well all the time. Um, Praise the Lord. Yeah. But that period was hard for me. Um, so you were really angry. You were I, angry. That... Incandescent. I remember at the shack, um, and, you know, Karen had been really patient and she, she had asked me a question about it because she was trying to get me to talk about it so we could process it. I, I, I was in a state of rage for three days. And Karen patiently tried to stop me from destroying a lot of things. Um, so my state of mind over this was horrific. I trusted God that he knew okay, what he was well, doing, that, but I, I was want, really cross. Right. So I wanted to explore that as well, Michael. This is not a matter of you saying, thanks a lot, God. Because I remember at the time when you were developing this thing, I, I actually questioned you. I, I, are you sure you, this, this guy's not a Christian? Are you sure? And your response to me, I don't know if you remember it, but you said... God has clearly put on my heart, this is what I'm to do. That's all we have time for tonight. To order a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please visit our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Redemption Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, redemption means rescue, restore, and repair. God is in the business of redemption, of transforming something impossibly bad into something unbelievably good. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the second in this four-part series on redemption. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. 